are about to listen to is a podcast produced by Philoclea Ministries. Philoclea Ministries is offered to all free of charge. However, there are real and immediate needs associated with it. If you are a regular listener or enjoy any of the content produced by Philoclea Ministries, we humbly ask that you consider becoming a contributor. You can learn more about our funding needs at www.philocleaministries.org. Please note that Philoclea Ministries is not a 401c3 nonprofit organization and that contributions are not tax deductible. Supporting Philoclea Ministries is just like supporting your other favorite podcasters and content creators, and all proceeds pay the production bills, make it possible for us to pay our content manager, and provide a living stipend for Father David. God bless you and enjoy the podcast. Glory to Jesus Christ and glory forever. Welcome back, everybody, to our study of the Ladder of Divine Ascent by St. John Climacus. And we're picking up this evening with step number 25 on humility. And we are on page 187, if you're following along in the blue uh, version of this of this work, the blue translation, uh, page 187 with number 48. And we've been looking at humility for the last few weeks or months, uh, both within the Ricatinos and the latter, and we're coming to the end of this step, and we will be then transitioning to uh, discernment, uh, which is one of the fruits of humility that allows us to have a clear view of not only our thoughts, but our passions, but also the virtues, that it gives us the ability to see with a kind of clarity uh, where one is within the spiritual life and where one might be struggling. And so I'm looking forward to moving on to that as well. So again, number 48, about halfway down the page. The natural property of the lemon tree is such that it lifts its branches upwards when it has no fruit. But the more the branches bend down, the more fruit they bear. Those who have the mind to understand will grasp the meaning of this. So not too difficult to understand at this point, I think, that uh, the greater fruit that the lemon tree has, the more that its uh, limbs bend over for us to pick that fruit. And similarly, uh, for those who are humble, who, uh, as it were, bend themselves over, uh, are begin to bear greater fruit in the spiritual life. It's uh, to humble oneself to lower oneself then is to be exalted in the sense of the, the fruit that we bear that is pleasing to God and also participation in his life. Number 49, holy humility obtains from God the power to bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. The dispassionate attain to the last degree, the courageous to the middle, and all can rise to the first. So the, the perfection of humility would be the person who's really uh, struggled over the course of uh, the years, decades, perhaps of their life, struggling with the, the passions and overcoming them. And in doing so has be, become humble before God and men. And so uh, can do, produce fruit then uh, a hundredfold uh, and uh, because, there, again, there is no impediment there uh, to the action of God's grace in one's life. 
And similarly, he says, those who are courageous, so those who are fighting this battle, who are engaging in this struggle, can bear 60-fold. And he said, anyone can bear 30-fold. So if we are at least in the battle, if we are at least investing ourselves, uh, then uh, the struggle will, will bear fruit. We will see uh, the value of it within the course of our life. He who comes to know himself is never tricked in undertaking to undertaking what is beyond him, but keeps his feet safely on the blessed path of humility henceforth. Never tricked into undertaking what is beyond him. This I was struck by this in re reading it, that I've of, I often feel that we complicate our lives. And we often will take on what is beyond us, not only in terms of our skill or our ability, but what time allows. Uh, we have made busyness a kind of virtue and we can drive out the, the space that is necessary to be attentive. And in fact, to that which has the greater value for us, which is the spiritual life, the life of prayer, uh, the struggle uh, to grow in virtue, as well as the other things that have great value for us, family life and things such as that. But often we will distract ourselves into taking on a whole host of things, sometimes very demanding, that pull us away uh, from that which has greater value within our life. And certainly this is true uh, in the spiritual life, that our busyness becomes a kind of unholy distraction. And as we've mentioned here before, it's the kind of modern violence to the self uh, that we commit, that we drive ourselves to the point of exhaustion, uh, but never really asking ourselves why, to what end uh, ultimately, especially in light of the larger questions of our own mortality and, uh, and of our relationship with God. Do these things serve uh, that, uh, that end, which is to draw us into greater intimacy with the Lord? Do they bring the joy of the kingdom or foster things such as, as holy humility? Uh, or do they simply make us focus on ourselves more and more uh, while not uh, adding to the happiness or joy of our life even? He who has come to know himself is never tricked, I'm sorry, number 51. Birds hear uh, the sight of a hawk. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble reading here tonight. Birds fear the sight of a hawk, and those who practice humility fear the sound of dispute. So a humble soul is going to want to avoid conflict with others. And uh, not out of fear so much as it is the desire to allow love to trump uh, everything else. That what is uh, the love of neighbor or peace between ourselves and our neighbor in comparison to winning an argument uh, or having our personal judgment uh, come out on top and in the end, if that destroys charity between ourselves and another. And uh, this is a good, uh, probably lesson for us in our own day, when we indiscriminately 
I think, engage in these kind of fierce verbal battles with others, neglecting uh, the dignity uh, of the other person. And we see how far that can reach today. I mean, the violence that people commit against each other uh, for the smallest of things. Uh, and so we do it both in word and in deed, whereas we're told here the fathers feared as birds would fear a hawk, that uh, this promises us nothing uh, in the spiritual life and certainly not safety. Number 52, many have received salvation without prophecies and revelations, without signs and wonders, but without humility, no one will enter the marriage chamber because humility is the guardian of these gifts. And without her, they bring frivolous people to ruin. So we often, like the people in Jesus' own generation, uh, want to see signs, want to be convinced, uh, want to experience the extraordinary uh, in the spiritual life. And yet none of these things we are told bring us to salvation. None of these things produce an enduring fruit uh, of, of virtue. And it's really humility that brings us again into that deep intimacy. Uh, like is drawn to like. And the humble soul is drawn more and more deeply into this nuptial relationship with God. And so again, this virtue above all the others holds out the, the greatest promise for us. And uh, again, I think we're, we're often seduced down that path to seek the things that uh, give us a certain feeling or uh, again, uh, that we think are going to deepen our faith and in reality that they don't. Uh, you know, certainly feelings are, are passing and, and these kinds of things like revelations that he describes here or prophecies can be subject to the delusions that the evil one puts before us. And so the safest path, the quickest path for us always to Christ is humility. Uh, he who is humility uh, is approached most quickly when we, we become like him. For those of us who do not wish to humble ourselves, the Lord has arranged in his providence that no one can see his faults as well as his neighbor does. So we are bound to give thanks for our healing, not to ourselves, but to our neighbor and to God. So God humbles us often enough, but uh, we do a pretty good job of, of that before our neighbors, where they are capable of seeing the times that we're being hypocritical or prideful, and they are often willing to point that out for us. And so uh, even though we feel them to be a scourge at times, uh, they are often our very path to salvation. The people that we often seek to get away from as quickly as we can are, are the ones who, who see us most clearly. Number 54. The man who humble of humble mind always loathes his own will as erring. And in his petitions to the Lord with unwavering faith, he learns what he should do and he obeys. 
He does not direct his attention to the life of his teachers, but cast his care upon God, who used an ass to teach Balaam his duty. Although the worker of this kind does everything and thinks and speaks according to the will of God, even so he never trusts himself. Self-confidence for the humble is just as much a thorn and a burden as another man's choice is for the proud. So an interesting thing that we trust most of all in the guidance and the wisdom of God, of his providence to guide us along the path that leads to him and to guide us along the path of virtue, even above and beyond our teachers, that sometimes we, we do not turn the mind and the heart to God first and seek counsel and guidance in him or the strength to obey that often we will even turn to teachers to, to ruminate more on what it is that we want or our frustrations or seeking in a kind of cunning way or calculating way, even in, in our religiosity, to pursue the path that we desire. Whereas if we are humble, we can remain silent and still and listen to God and allow him to speak through the circumstances of our day-to-day -day life. And again, this is an incredibly difficult thing to do in the spiritual life, uh, simply because uh, of our ego, that even in religious matters, we have it in our mind, what we think will be our, bear the greatest fruit. It just so happens that it most often coincides with what we think our greatest gifts are or the path that we, we want to take in this life. And so often it can be a much humbler or simpler path uh, that God might draw us upon, that it bears the greatest fruit, not only for ourselves, but also for others. And so we have to be careful, even within our prayer life and in our discernment, that we are listening to God, that we have the silence and the stillness uh, that allows us to turn to him first and foremost. Victor. Your comments, Father, are reminding me of a book that I, I've read and shared with people called Just Listen. Mm -hmm. And it's written by a, an FBI hostage negotiator that had a great deal of success in working with people that had taken hostages. And, and I think the subtitle is How to Get Through to Anyone, but it's a theme you're talking about here like entering the marriage chamber, like in a relationship with someone we care for in our family, a spouse, um, our parish. Um, I, I, I put that out there. To maybe uh, someone would be interested in that book. I gave a copy to my pastor, and he was appreciative. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it does capture... Uh, what uh, Climacus is saying here that, you know, this idea of just listen or listen to God in particular to suspend our judgment, our perception of the circumstances and allow ourselves to listen to what God would be saying to us through them. And this is true, certainly, as you mentioned, in our listening to others, whether, whether it's as this book describes, you know, of this uh, hostage negotiator uh, that uh, 
or with anyone in general, that again, to silence the mind and the heart and to listen to what the other is saying. And uh, I think I've mentioned here before that one of the things I learned from psychoanalysis is that Freud never took notes during his clinical sessions with people. It was always that he would stay up later at night and write things out verbatim of what, what he heard. But what became important was this uh, kind of suspended attention to the other. Uh, and not only, again, does this uh, show respect for the other, but also an understanding that we, we don't pick up on what people are saying to us because we aren't listening in that fashion, because people communicate with us more than just in their words. Uh, or if they do use words, sometimes their words don't mean what we uh, think they mean, at least not on the surface. That is often what is behind it, the, the, the emotion with which the things are said. Sometimes their silence will even speak to us as well. And uh, certainly this is true in our relationship with God. Uh, to silence the heart, to allow God to speak a word to us that he desires us to hear in that moment. And so often I think what uh, happens is that uh, our hearts become filled with our own mind, our, with our own feelings and thoughts, and it becomes very difficult uh, to see what God might be doing in our life, especially if it is something challenging or if there's a particular cross involved, uh, to wait upon the Lord for him to reveal what he wants us to understand. But most of all, I think to turn to him first uh, is what John is, is saying to us here, that you know, not to quickly turn to others to discuss things. You know, they aren't going to be guaranteed to, to know or understand what's going on in your life more than anyone else, and certainly are not going to be able to reveal what needs to be heard more, more than God in that moment and what he can reveal in and through faith. Number 55. It seems to me that it is the property of an angel not to be seduced by sins. For I hear an angel, earthly angel say, I know nothing against myself, yet I am not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore, we should unceasingly condemn and reproach ourselves so as to cast off involuntary sins through voluntary humiliations. Otherwise, if we do not, at our departure, we shall certainly be subjected to a harsh rendering of account. So the angel that he's speaking to us of here is Paul who said these words, that even though his conscience did not rebuke him, he in no way judged himself as innocent, knowing our capacity for delusion or how sin can darken the mind and the heart. And so John is saying to willingly humble ourselves, uh, to acknowledge the poverty of our sin freely. Uh, the, again, that this is the safest path and uh, the truest path for us in the sense of how frequently we often do turn away from God, if only to turn to ourselves in our, our own pride. 
And uh, again, this can be a difficult thing for us to do. Um, we're often uh, pushed to judge quickly. And, uh, you know, everything in our society today sort of creates a kind of, of urgency in making judgments. You know, think of a 24-hour news cycle or uh, advertising for material goods. It all creates this kind of urgency that one has to have and possess information or has, has to possess uh, certain worldly goods in order to have happiness, in order to be healthy, in order uh, to be at peace, in order to have security. And again, all of these things are uh, a kind of a illusion that where our peace of mind and heart comes from, as well as our capacities, we will see in the next step uh, to see the truth and to embrace it comes through the gift of humility. Realizing again, that only true light comes to us from God. He who asks God for less than his dessert will certainly receive more than he deserves. This is demonstrated by the publican who asks for forgiveness, but received justification. And the robber only asked to be remembered in his kingdom, but he inherited all paradise. So to be humble, even in our petitions before God, that we understand that God knows our needs with the clarity uh, that we do not have. And so we do not uh, ask him for things that are uh, perhaps ridiculous or worldly. Uh, we, again, place ourselves in his hands, asking for the things that are necessary for our, our salvation and the salvation of others. And there's never a, a time when we will find ourselves wanting in that regard to take the last seat you know there's always the possibility of being drawn up closer being drawn up forward you know forward in the seating rather than trying to possess or reach out and possess for ourselves uh, what in our own mind we think that we deserve number 57 it is impossible to see fire by nature small or great in any creature and it is absolutely impossible that anything of a material nature should be found in sincere humility. As long as we fall into voluntary sins, there is not humility in us. And that is the sign that there is still something material in us. So the presence of sin uh, reveals to us that there is still an attachment to the things uh, of, of the world in some measure. Uh, that uh, even if we have in large part uh, moved away from serious sins, uh, the, the presence of that sin often reveals our resting upon our own strength rather than the grace of God. And that there lacks that pure fire, if you will, of desire for God uh, still within us. And that still does not burn hotly enough in order to purify the mind and the heart. 
And uh, I think this is a, an important teaching uh, because, you know, we often will tell ourselves, well, I fell into sin or, uh, you know, we often will uh, place the responsibility of it on to another rather than within ourselves within without instead of acknowledging that again there is this attachment that still rests within the within the self and i think especially when we've been struggling perhaps even for a long time with something and there is a part of us that even despises it it's hard for us in in humility to acknowledge that that might be so that on a certain level we despise it but on another level, as, as much of a contradiction as this might seem to be, on another level, we can be very much attached to it. Any questions or comments so far? Number 59 or 58. The master, knowing that the virtue of the soul is modeled on outward behavior, took a towel and showed us how to walk the way of humility. For the soul becomes like its bodily occupations. It conforms itself to its activities and takes its shape from them. Authority served as a ground for arrogance for one of the angels although that was not why it was conferred on. So, you know, the, the, the greatest of the angels falls because he, he accounts that as belonging to himself rather than having received it fr from God. And, uh, and similarly, we, we see, though, uh, in, in Christ, uh, what is made manifest through his actions, that despite uh, being Lord and despite uh, his divinity, he humbles himself before his disciples. And if you remember uh, what took place prior to the foot washing uh, and girding himself with, with the towel was their argument along the way about who would sit at his right and his left. And it was at that point that uh, James and John's mother intercedes on their behalf. And so they storm into the upper room. And here, you know, it's, you know, love often has the, the most important and beautiful things to say before one has to depart. And so our Lord is preparing. He's told them he's on his way to Jerusalem where he will be arrested and put to death. And here at the last supper that he's preparing, to speak to them and to give them the most precious gift of all, the Holy Eucharist. And while they're on the road, they're having a fight. And they walk into the upper room. And we've talked about this in some of the other groups, that the uh, tradition at the time was for the house slave to wash the dust of the road off of the feet of a visitor. It was an act of courtesy. And, of course, the... Uh, the Lord and the disciples did not have slaves, and so they would perform this customary act of hospitality for, for each other. And yet here, you know, our Lord is telling them that he's, that he's on his way to death, 
And they walk all hot-faced into the upper room, silent, and nobody performs the task. Nobody picks up the basin. Nobody picks up the towel. And it's instead, it's the Lord who girds himself with the towel and makes his way around the, the room to perform this task. And it's in the very act uh, that John, in particular, in his gospel, shows us the meaning of the Eucharist too. This uh, radical humility, self-emptying love. Uh, and we, in, in the Latin rite, will you know, enact it, in fact, with the foot washing uh, as, as a reminder for our, our, ourselves uh, of, of the Lord's humility. And, and so we see how uh, far humility and sin are on the spectrum from each other. On the one hand, we have Satan himself uh, falling from heaven, uh, who accounts himself more worthy than what he is. And the Lord, who is the creator of heaven and earth, who humbles himself before man. And so always the Lord is the, the most powerful standard for us, more than any, any teacher, any teaching, I mean, that is. He who sits on a throne has certain dispositions, and he who sits on a dunghill has others. And that is perhaps why the great saint sat on the dunghill outside the city, for then he had obtained perfect humility. He said with deep feeling, I abhor myself and melt away, and I esteem myself dust and ashes. And so he's speaking here of Job for us. And it might be interesting to hear him referred to as a saint, which is though not an uncommon thing in the East to, to acknowledge the, the great patriarchs, uh, the great figures from the Old Testament as, as being saintly characters. Uh, but certainly we see this humility in, in Job that uh, all the way through the trials that he bore, but uh, being brought to this lowest point, uh, losing all, but then also, you know, sitting on a dung heap, scraping himself, uh, comes to see himself and in, in this perfect humility. He is dust and ashes. He is humus. And, and, and so... Uh, acknowledges it, as it were, by sitting on this dung heap. Dung heap. And, uh, and we see in Job the, the extraordinary humility that despite having all the things that he did within this world, all the many blessings, when taken away from him, the faith in God still remains. That he acknowledges that everything comes from the hand of God. And so whether God gives it or takes it away, God is still God. And this is what he acknowledges in all humility. And it's interesting that even what after what has been revealed to us uh, through, you know, through the life of Christ, his death on the cross, the Eucharist, the witness of the saints and the martyrs throughout the, the, the centuries, that the difficulty we have in making an ascent to this simple truth that, uh, that, you know, we come from dust and ashes, that God is 
the one who gives us breathes life into us and uh this you know is to be our uh fundamental stance before the Lord as we live our life, as well as the way that we engage others, that we don't put on airs, regardless of our position within this world or what responsibilities have been given to us, we never lose sight of the reality of who we are as human beings, that anything that is bestowed upon us comes from the hand of God. Do you not know that I have power over you of life and death? You know, it's put to Christ, you know, and uh, tells him, you know, any power that you have comes to you from God. You know, have no illusions about where you've received it. Number 60. I find that Manasseh's sin as no other man has sinned by defiling the temple of God with idols and contaminating all the divine worship. If the whole world had undertaken a fast for him, it could have made no, no return for, for this. But humility had power to remedy even what was incurable in him. If thou hadst desired sacrifice, I would have given it, said David to God. But thou wilt not be pleased with whole burnt sacrifices, that is, with bodies consumed by fasting. The sacrifice for God, and everyone knows what follows. So this, the sacrifice that speaks to God is that of a, a broken, contrite, humbled heart. And uh, it's a powerful image that's put before us that the whole world could have undertaken a fast for this individual and nothing uh, would have made a dent in his guilt before God, uh, except humility could have undone it in a moment. And... Uh, you know, this is one of the paragraphs I wrote while next to, in the sense of the power again uh, of humility, that uh, even in our religiosity, as he points out at the end of this paragraph, we still can be striving uh, by our own strength and our own will to win over the heart of God or to uh, overcome our own sins, whether it's through burnt offerings, or he says here, bodies consumed by fasting, obviously speaking to his monks, that all of this is as nothing in comparison to humility. And so if you're fasting, if you're wearing your body down in this ascetical practice and lack humility, it is worth nothing. All of these readings, you know, certainly on humility, are, have perhaps been the perfect preparation for the Feast of the Incarnation. You know, when we reflect upon, you know, the humbling of our Lord, taking upon himself our, our humanity. Uh, and, you know, it allows us, I think, to place John's writing uniquely as readers of his text uh, within the, the the frame of that of this feast, 
And there's a kind of blessing in that, uh, that we can be reflecting upon the humility of the Lord in the incarnation while we are being taught what humility is by one of the great saints. I've sinned against the Lord. Blessed humility once cried to God after committing adultery and murder. And he soon heard, the Lord hath put away thy sin. So David was one who was capable of great sin, we know. And uh, adultery here and murder uh, of Bathsheba's uh, husband and yet was also a man of extraordinary faith and of humility who would acknowledge his sin before the Lord. And, you know, he would know the consequences of that sin, but he would also know the blessing of, of the forgiveness of God, that he would see the fruit of what that sin brought to him, but he would also know the joy of being restored to that relationship with God. The ever-memorable fathers laid down that the way to humility and its foundation is bodily toil. But I would say obedience and honesty of heart, because they are naturally opposed to self-esteem. So what an extraordinary thing, you know, from one of the great ascetic writers that uh, he's telling us here that more than bodily toil, is obedience and honesty of heart, truthful living, and this capacity to listen to God above one's own self and self-judgment. That these are the things that have the, the greatest value. So it compels us to, to put asceticism, as much as it is valued uh, by the fathers, it compels us to put it in, into perspective. What, what is it meant to lead to? You know, we, they tell us over and over again, it's absolutely necessary in the spiritual life, but that the, the foundation for it, the ground for it must be humility and obedience, or it won't bear the fruit that we desire when it's driven by self-will. If the pride of some of the angels made them demons, no doubt humility can make angels out of demons. Wherefore, let those who have fallen take courage. So highlight this saying, memorize it, write it all over the place. Uh, it's... You know, certainly one of the most famous from the latter, and for good reason. You know, it tells us that, you know, pride can make demons out of angels, but humility can make angels out of demons. That humility can raise us up to participate in the angelic life and beyond, to participate in the very life of God. Let us hasten with all our powers to fight our way to humility's head. Failing this, let us at least mount on her shoulders. And if our effort is not sufficient for this, 
let us at least not fall out of her arms. For I hardly think a man who falls out of them will, will receive any eternal gift. So, it's in, you know, John is telling us that if there's something in this life that we fight for, uh, that it would be humility, that we would strive with all of our might uh, to, to reach, as it were, the pinnacle of it, to, to rest, as it were, upon our head. And if we can't do that, at least on our shoulders, and if, if not that, at least remain, you know, in her embrace. And, you know, for him, it's hard to imagine. How is it that one uh, can participate in the life of God if part of that life of God that has been revealed to us is this holy humility? And so, again, it makes it very clear for us uh, the path that lies ahead. What, what are we to strive for in this spiritual life? And it's imitation of Christ. It's the selfless love, humility, obedience. These are the things that are to be most prized and what we are to strive for the most. Number 65. The sinews of humility and its ways, but not its attributes, are poverty, hidden withdrawal from the world, concealment of wisdom, Simplicity of speech, asking of alms, hiding of nobility, banishment of familiarity, exclusion of loquacity. So uh, the sinews and its ways. So not necessarily the attributes, but sort of the uh, what, what holds it together, as it, as it were, and may, allows it to function. Now, all the things that we've talked about, Poverty, hidden withdrawal, concealment of wis uh, wisdom, simplicity in speech, uh, exclusion of loquacity. So exclusion of talkative, talkativeness, uh, banishment of familiarity. So we don't lose sight of the dignity of the other uh, in the way that we engage them asking of alms so this ability to humble ourselves before others for the things that we need again you know in our day and age you know priding oneself on you know being a self-made man self-made woman you know there, there is no such thing in the christian life uh the self-made christian uh you know we we don't build this life by hard work you know it's uh, it's by grace and we take hold of that grace and embrace it as much as we can and we we strive for the virtue that christ holds out to us and to walk along the path that he set before us uh but you know it's it's, it's never something that is is done on our own in fact, if you remember, John tells us it's, you know, if anything comes to us, it's typically through the prayers of one spiritual elder than through one's own prayer. Nothing can humble a soul, the soul, as a state of destitution and a beggar's subsistence. For we only prove to be philosophers and lovers of God 
when having the possibility of exaltation, we flee from it irrevocably. So, you know, it's one thing to be a man or woman of faith when we have everything and uh, we never experience want or need. Uh, you know, where one lets that go, as we hear Christ so often say, go sell all that you possess, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Where there is this kind of radical faith and letting go of the security that we seek to create for ourselves and to rest upon the security of God's love and grace. Uh, this is where often true faith is proven. Now, insofar as we have everything uh, at our reach or, or people at our beck and call, you know, what faith is there uh, when things come to us so, so easily? There's a comment here. Sharon Fisher writes, backing up a bit, the fast can be harmful physically. I've experienced and know others who have negative physical effects trying to do the prescribed thing. Yet I haven't had a priest directly suggest that it can be modified as necessary, but they say it's not to be taken legalistically. Uh, yes, it can be modified as necessary. You know, certainly, uh, one has to take into consideration one's constitution and one's health. The, the ide ideal uh, of fasting is not to make oneself sick or to harm the body, it's to humble the mind and the body. And if one physically already uh, cannot uh, do the fullness of the fast, in a sense that is humbling, and one can rest uh, peacefully in that. And again, I think everything that John says here too, uh, gives us a kind of freedom from placing uh, too much value or overvaluing the physical aspects of it. It's really, again, humility and obedience and uh, obedience to God and his will and humility before him, asking for his grace These are the and forgiveness. These are the things that are salvific. Uh, the fasting is really only meant to help us uh, strengthen our will in regards to our appetites, to humble the body, to slow the thoughts, the mind down. Uh, if we take it to the point where it drives us to sickness, then there can be a pride involved there, that we're doing what is beyond uh, the measure of our own strength. And so we are not even following the wisdom uh, of the, the truth of our own life. If, if humility is to live honestly, then we have to acknowledge, okay, physically, I cannot fast to the full measure that is put before me by the church as a model. Uh, but I can certainly uh, pursue humility uh, without any limitation or love and the offering of one's love to others. And, and uh, I'm not ahead. sure if I'm on camera or on screen or not, you are. but mm -hmm. I, I really appreciate that mm -hmm. because like I've said, I didn't feel like, I mean, there is in fasting, there is, you know, there's 
there's food fasting, there's physical fasting, and there's uh, removing yourself from maybe the TV or the radio or or the whatever, and then and giving them alms. Um, and I think sometimes maybe in orthodoxy, the fast requirement uh, maybe overtakes the, the intent of the trifold um, um, giving of self. Right. Prayer, almsgiving, and fasting. Right. The three legs of the stole, as yeah, yeah. Peter, Peter Chrysologus says. And you're right. Sometimes the fasting in and of itself becomes an end. It almost shapes a kind of identity uh, for those formed maybe in the Eastern tradition even more uh, because the, the fasts are so predominant. It's, you know, over 150 some days oh, of the year. And, right. uh, but if one makes that the extent of one's faith of fulfilling each one of those, it's not necessarily going to show or bear the fruit of, of humility. Yep. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And so uh, again, you know, I think here again, we see the, the nuances that John uh, offers us, but uh, the, the wisdom that he puts before us here that, you know, he's not strident in his teaching, but very much aware of our weaknesses on multiple levels as, as human beings and the things that we have to be attentive to. Um, number 67, if you take up arms against some passion, take humility as an ally, for she will tread upon the asp and the basilisk, that is the sin and despair, and will trample upon the line and dragon, that is the devil and the dragon of the body. And so humility as an ally, and so, again, humbling the mind and the body is a helpful thing in the struggle, uh, both with the sin and the passions our and that, that often arise out of the appetites, but also protects us from falling into despair. That uh, if there's humility there and we are uh, resting on the grace of God in the spiritual struggle, then we aren't going to fall into despondency. Uh, no matter how uh, great the battle becomes with the evil one or how weak we experience ourselves as being in the spiritual life, that humility is going to uh, not only strengthen us in that battle by allowing us to call upon the grace of God, but when we fall, not to lose trust in his mercy. Humility is a heavenly siphon, which from the abyss of sins can raise the soul to heaven. I looked that word up. Does it, can anybody help, help me out here? Is it a musical reference? Give me one second here. No, I think they're th thinking of siphon in the traditional... Let me reread re this here. Humility is a heavenly siphon, transfers liquid from one container to another. That's right. So humility is a heavenly siphon from which the abyss of sins can uh, raise the soul to heaven. So that's right. So 
transferring the liquid of one container to another. So remo removing sin or uh, humility itself, raising us up uh, by filling the, the uh, yeah, that's right, carries a liquid from a higher level up and over a barrier and then down to a lower level. Water spout in the translation in front of me. That's interesting. I, I thought of it as like a tornado sucking up one to heaven. <laughs> uh, yeah, somebody else did too. Uh, Ambrose sucks you up into heaven. Interesting. So thank you for your help there. So, so he who humbles himself will be exalted, will be lifted up. And uh, so allow this to be uh, the action that takes place for us, you know, being drawn up, being pulled up rather than seeking to scrape our, our way up, as it were. Someone saw in his heart the beauty of humility and seized with amazement, asked her to tell him the name of her parent. Smiling joyfully and serenely at him, humility replied, how is it that you are in a hurry to know the name of my parent? He is nameless, and I cannot tell you until you possess God. To him be the glory unto ages. Amen. The mother of the fountain is the deep sea, and the fountain of discernment is humility. So this brings us to the end of the step on humility, but it's an interesting thing. John often does this. Uh, especially when he's dealing with vices, asking, you know, who, who your mother is, who are your offspring. And here he does it, though, with a virtue, with humility. You know, who, who has given birth to you? And uh, again, I think it's meant to emphasize for us, the reason that he does this with a virtue is to emphasize that the, the, the parent of this virtue is God himself. Again, this is one of the very qualities of God, and you will come to see and, uh, and understand it, and I can only tell you it, he's told, once you possess God. And both he, here and Evercatinos were told the same thing. And uh, again, it's one of the things I hope that we are able to grasp in reading these two works at once. Uh, again, not to see it as one virtue among the others, uh, but really the virtue, you know, that contains all the others and, and in a sense from which all the others flow. And that also draws us into this state of union and communion with God, because it is part of the very reality of God that has been revealed to us, of the very nature of God. And there's something... I don't know what I found about this over these past weeks and thinking about it, a kind of thrill in, in reading it, because I think so often humility and the way that I've thought about it or the way that it's been talked about has always been with a kind of negative connotation. And I think it's because we often think of it in, in terms of the tie with humiliation of being you know, belittled by others, which can often be the case and can even lead to humility. But what, what we are being shown is that 
it is something beautiful and that we are to strive for and uh, to fight for and that it brings us into a union with, with God. And so not to be feared and, and we aren't to hide from it or try to avoid it, but allow ourselves to be taken hold of it. And, you know, we use the imagery, I think, uh, in talking about the Evertinus of falling into the abyss of humility is really falling into the abyss of the love of God, into the very life of God. And so it somehow reshapes the way that we view our life. You know, our life in light of our own experiences, the trials, the traumas that we've borne, the mistakes we've made, uh, the wounds that we've caused others, uh, or the, you know, the failures that we've experienced and the things that we've pursued, the mistakes that we've made, all, all of that sort of fades into the background when we, we realize that, okay, these things allow us to see uh, ourselves in a different way, not with self-hatred or self-contempt, but they allow us to see ourselves as God sees us. And when we're able to do that, then I think we lose fear of everything. And we, we lose uh, that uh, drive to make something of ourselves. You know, the, this terrible pressure that the world and the evil one and we ourselves place upon ourselves that uh, we have to prove our value to ourselves and to, to the world around us. And the gospel teaches us just the opposite. That God sees us through and through. He knows every hair on our head and knows every thought that we've had, every act that we've committed and gives us to himself without condition. And if there isn't something liberating about that, I, I don't know what, what could be. Uh, Greg writes, Father, I will miss these sessions. I'll begin classes in seminary in January. Okay, God bless you. And we'll be praying for you. And I hope it all goes well. Okay, there's another comment. Daniel writes, what's interesting to me is that it seems all other virtues do not by nature exclude pride a type of natural perfection. Only humility excludes pride and why it's the only virtue that cannot be imitated by the demons, as John said. But the difference is that all other virtues can be beautifully acquired while humility is only received by acknowledgement of our own lack, our own lack of other virtues even. Does that make sense? If so, while humility may be the God, may be the God-like virtue, it is also terrifying. Well, I think we could even go so far as to say it is God. That we are desiring beings. You know, we've talked about this all the way back to Isaac the Syrian. That uh, we are made in the image and likeness of God. We find our identity, life, fullness only in him. And if you remember, the word desire means lack, sense of lack or incompleteness. And to acknowledge that lack 
that incompleteness outside of God draws us to, to him, draws us in to satisfy the deepest longing of the heart. And St. Augustine struggles. If you read in the Confessions, you know, over and over, you know, I look for you all over the place and in all different things outside of me where the whole time you were, you were within and, and I did not, I did not see you. And uh, we're often exactly like that, searching desperately, I think, for something to fill us, to make us whole, to make us worthy, to make us lovable, when in reality, we have that within us. You know, the kingdom of God lies within. And often we are distracted from taking hold of it by things, again, that are of much less value, but that the world and the, I think the demons try to convince us that we need. There's something to be said for the, the simple life. Isn't there an old Quaker hymn about that, about that as well? It's, it's worth reading the the verses to it, the lyrics to it, if you have a chance, uh, because it sort of captures this. And I think it's something that we need to take hold of. A kind of life that allows us to see who we are in the eyes of God. And think about it, even slowing down our reading of these texts, what, what it is offered to us. And if we can slow our lives down, that we're able to see God in all that is around us, you know, in, in creation itself, then what joy will come to the human heart. Okay. So that brings us to 830. And uh, uh, just as a reminder, uh, Monday is Christmas, if you don't already know that. And so we won't be meeting for the Evergatinas, but we will meet on Wednesday evening for the Ladder of Divine Ascent. And we'll pick up with the step number 26. So why don't we close with, with the Our Father as always, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. The Lord be with you. Amen. What God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in Amen. Peace.